Hello and welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. Pulling off a successful virtual event is no easy task, especially when there are thousands of attendees to cater to, but it can also present opportunities to rethink your entire event strategy. I'm Elise Schoening, Associate Editor of North Star Meetings Group, and on this episode of Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals, I sat down with Jim Lauderback, General Manager and Senior Vice President of VidCon, an annual conference for digital creators that typically attracts 75,000 attendees and was one of the first events canceled due to COVID-19 last March. But rather than cancel outright, the organizers decided to transform the four-day in-person conference into a summer-long digital program and later expanded it into a year-long online offering. In the end, their 2020 numbers far surpassed that of previous years. On this episode, Jim and I discuss the process of bringing an event of this size online and expanding it to international audiences, as well as how to generate engagement opportunities with such a large gathering and the decision to make the content free. I wanted to ask you about the 2020 event, and you made the decision pretty early on in the pandemic. I believe it was March 23rd uh, to cancel the 2020 conference and move it virtual and then take that four-day conference and transform it into a summer-long experience. Can you walk me through that decision? Yeah. So last year in the winter, we did an event in London in the third week of February. And we had so we'd wrapped up our London show. We were sort of looking at what was going on with the uh, coronavirus and whether it would impact us at the London show. You know, when we all got back to the U.S. in early March, we started looking around and, and saw things getting worse and worse and worse and realized by the time mid-March came around that this was going to be something that was going to affect us uh, very seriously. And we were looking like, is it possible for us to move our event to the fall? Like a lot of other people were thinking. And as it turns out, you know, there was really no place for us to do it. And so that's why we looked and said, we're not going to be able to do this in July. We canceled the show because, you know, it just wasn't, would not be healthy to do it. As it turns out, it was the right decision. And then we thought, you know, how do we engage our audience who loves coming to VidCon every year? And our audience is a mix of fans, online video creators, and the industry that supports and advances them. And we realized that we had an opportunity to engage them with sort of the core of what makes VidCon special, but to do that in a digital way, in a virtual environment. And we also took a step back and said, yeah, you know what? We don't want to just do three days of Zoom meetings, you know, 80 Zoom meetings and call it a a year. We realize everyone's going to be locked up at home all summer. Let's bring a little bit of VidCon to them wherever they are around the world and a piece of VidCon that appeals to what they get out of VidCon and lean into the things that make digital great and the digital aspects of an event that will hopefully bring a little bit of the VidCon magic to people while they're locked up at home. And so that's what we did. Yeah, that's really interesting. And VidCon is a massive conference with 75,000 attendees at the 2019 event. So pivoting virtual is no small task. And I know that the virtual numbers actually surpass the in-person attendance with about a million attendees. When you have an event that's that big, how do you generate opportunities for engagement and try to make it feel more intimate, special, worthwhile, all of that? Yeah, really good question. And just to, to be clear, over, over 13 weeks, we did you know between 10 and 14 sessions a week 
And so those numbers obviously accumulated as the summer went along. Um, but we tried a lot of different ways to bring people together uh, to sort of recreate some of the serendipity that you get in an event and also some of the planned connections. And so we used Icebreaker as a tool to do networking sessions. We used some interesting event technologies to, as we were doing our panels and our workshops and our meet and greets to bring people together as well, whether it was through chat or through Q&As or through small group conversations. We launched a community on Discord, which is an online server that allows for threaded messaging and other sort of connectivity, both on the audio and the video side, where we were able to do things like AMAs with top creators. We were able to let our fans get together and talk with each other around topics they were interested in, whether it was animation or DIY or just love of a particular type of creator. And we also brought in a bunch of different experiments around meet and greets. One of the things that's really big on our face-to-face -face event is fans get to actually connect with and, and meet their favorite creators and take a selfie and validate that connection that they have with those creators. I was really not sure we'd be able to do that digitally, but we went into a piece of uh, technology called Chattelize that allowed us to recreate that digitally. And it was as impactful for our fans and for the creators as doing it face-to-face. -face. So a lot of experimentation with different technologies. I still don't think we've discovered the uh, miracle cure here, but we've certainly made a lot of progress and we were able to bring a lot of the sort of connectivity that people have and the, the connecting with each other. We were able to do that over the summer and we just continued to do it in the fall and, and this year as well. I think I saw that there were people from 160 countries that were able to tune in. Can you talk about the international aspect and adjusting content for different languages, time zones, all of that? Yeah, you know, VidCon's been uh, working on an international expansion since 2016, 2017. We did our first international event in Europe in 2017. And it's been a big part of what our plans were in 2020 as well. Planning to go to Mexico, Abu Dhabi, Asia, other places. So we'd already had the beginnings of building that global presence for VidCon. And even as we started to go out and talk to and think about where we wanted to bring VidCon and we we're doing research and we found that around the world, people already knew VidCon in part because the creators we work with on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and Snap and others all have global presences. So when they would come to VidCon in Anaheim and they'd be doing video about being there, it would go out to all of their followers around the world. So our intention was to do something really in the USA and North America. But as we started looking at our numbers, we realized that we were getting people from all over the world. And because they loved a particular creator or they wanted an issue. And as it turned out, the sort of content that we do, whether it's educational and informative and strategic around the world of online video and community content, or if it's celebrating creators as they do things that are fun for their fans, but there's a global desire for that. And once we went digital and took the borders away, you didn't have to travel somewhere. You didn't have to buy a ticket. You didn't have to, you know, go somewhere. We were open to everyone. And it turns out everybody showed up. So we actually didn't over the summer craft content for somebody in Saudi Arabia or somebody in Australia or somebody in South Africa, but they showed up. So as we've relaunched our digital event, VidCon Now, we relaunched it. We, we ended it in September, and then two weeks later, we picked it back up again. And we started working with some of our teams around the world to build content specifically for those locations. So VidCon Now, our digital event, 
has Latin America content with our Mexico team that is in Spanish. We have stuff that we're doing with our Asia team that is in the Asian time zone, talking about issues and content and other things in Asia. So we think that ability to have one overall holistic VidCon now that is a global thing, but with individual sessions that are done in different time zones for different regions makes a lot of sense. And it's actually interesting because I think we're seeing other events sort of follow along with it. I was uh, listening to the head of events at Microsoft. He was talking about they did a 48-hour summit where basically it was like a telethon and they just had content going for 48 hours from different parts of the world in different time zones, all feeding into that one theme, which I think is a really cool idea. Yeah, so just to clarify there, so the original you know summer-long conference that was all you know U.S. time zone in English and then now you've expanded it and you have different content for different regions? Yep, exactly. And we don't, you know, we're not gating the content for different parts of the world. There's really no reason to. I mean, it's we we wanted to appeal to people globally. We were just surprised by how global it ended up being. I mean, it's, you know, look, half of our audience, a little bit more than half came from, from North America, but a little less than half came from everywhere else, which was awesome. And so now we're moving to sort of fill in and make sure that we've got content that is more region specific, but we're still looking, you know, and we always work with creators that have a global footprint and a global presence. We're celebrating that and then figuring out ways to do things with those creators in other parts of the world. Yeah. And I love what you said earlier about there being no borders and and kind of going off of that. I saw that the summer conference, you didn't have to pay to attend and that for the original conference that was planned, everyone got a refund and then it was free to attend. What was the decision behind that? And do you think that's a sustainable business model moving forward? So we wanted to make it free to attend over the summer because our fans and our attendees, a lot of people had financial pressures and they still do. And we didn't want to put barriers between our creators and our content and our attendees. We really felt that this is a kind of our way of giving back. I mean, people needed a little hope, a little spark. Remember what it was like last summer. It was, it was crazy. Where we're at now is VidCon Now, which we're doing every week and, you know, three, four, five sessions a week. Our intent is to keep that free forever. And and that sponsors, we had a great response from sponsors over the summer. We've got sponsors that we're working with that have come in this or this, this spring and uh, winter. And so because of the way we're producing that, we really think that it is a sustainable business with sponsorship only uh, and making it free for all. And And we've certainly seen that you know, that we've seen a great response there. When we go back to doing face-to-face events, which we'll do in the second half of this year, we will create a digital version, a hybrid version of that face-to-face event, connect the two together. But over those three or four days, we will be charging tickets for the digital instantiation of the physical event. And there will be a lot of value that will accrue there and things that we think make sense. And I think people will want to spend money to attend that. However, The VidCon Now sessions that we do every week will remain free, and they serve both a a monetary purpose, like we want to make money on it, but also it's a marketing purpose. We want to engage people around the world with the content that we do so that when we go to Abu Dhabi, they're already, they already know about VidCon. And when we go to Singapore, our target audience already knows about VidCon, and they'll be more inclined to want to spend money to buy a ticket to attend in person. I know that there are a lot of changes that had to be made to create this summer long and then now year long program. What are your metrics for success and how have that changed? 
Um, well, look, over the summer, our metrics were, we want to engage our audience. We want to experiment. You know, we want to build our audience. And so building an audience is around making sure that we have people that are attending a VidCon event who have never been to one. You know, we wanted to capture some of their registration information and emails so that we continue to stay in touch with them. We wanted them to join our Discord server. We had almost 20,000 people join over the summer. That was also really important. What we look at it now, and it's still about viewers and time spent and connections, and we still want to engage people around the world where they are. The metrics are still around making sure that we're engaging people and that they're watching and enjoying and sharing. And as we move towards doing face-to-face -face events again, we will start to look at how we can see how VidCon now and what we're building there is translating into people buying tickets. I don't have a clear like KPI on that right now because it's all new, but we'll be tracking that so that once we have a baseline, we can start setting KPIs and growth that we want to do going forward. I also want to ask you about the new VidCon Now year-long program. Sometimes the magic of an event is that it's once a year and you have to build up that excitement and wait for it. How do you draw up excitement for this year-long program and sustain that? A couple different ways. When we look at our VidCon Now stuff that we're doing every week, we distinguish it between fan content and more professionally oriented content for creators and for people building businesses on uh, community-led media. So it's kind of different on each one. So on the, on the more professional content for creators and for people building businesses, it's finding those key things that people are really interested in right now and doing content on it. So you think about it, there's a lot of buzzing going on about Clubhouse and audio platforms and things like that. Well, we're building in just a couple of weeks, a half day session, a half day you know, mini summit, I don't know what you want to call it, where we're going to dive into audio social platforms. And we're going to look at what's going on. We're going to talk with some of the top startups. We're going to explore how you build businesses and monetize on them. And then we'll look at the future. And we think that is immediately relevant to anybody who's interested in building businesses in the social community way, because we're exploring this new thing that everybody's talking about. On the fan content, that's where we're going out and saying, who are the top creators right now? Who are the emerging creators that people want to know about? We're bringing them in to do something fun with us that you might not be able to do anywhere else. And then we're letting the audience know that now you can come in and, and engage with these creators, see them perform, but we're also doing AMAs with them on our Discord server. So you can actually chat back and forth with them. So the real goal there is just find things that people are interested in right now on the industry side. It's like, what is this buzzy new thing that people want to know about? And then on the fan side, it's find the creators that they want to engage with right now and giving them an opportunity to engage with them in ways that they can't do when we're all locked down. So, so far it's working and we're really happy with the results. Yeah, in a way I would say it's almost maintaining that connection with your community year round and building that up. And also it's a way to stay on top of those trends. Yeah, absolutely. And we've had as a goal for the past few years, our VidCon's once a year in the US, it's once a year here, it's once a year there. How do we engage that community when we're not doing the events in a way that makes them even more excited to buy a ticket to the event? And so when COVID hit and we canceled our US event last year and our, and our other events as well, we said, okay, well, you know, we have the time, let's figure out how to do it now. And I think we proved through Discord, through the sessions that we've been doing and we're doing now that we can engage that audience that loves us year round, but we can also bring new people into the tent. And so 
I think we've seen great strides in that. We've been super successful and continue to do that. We will, and we continue to evolve what we do based on where people are and what they're doing. People are still locked down. They still want to be connected. As people start to get out and do face-to-face things again, we'll evolve as well to make sure that we're relevant and coming up with something they can't get anywhere else, but that feed into our face-to-face events. So a really good example of that is We've been leaning into innovation for a long time at VidCon, but we're really making a big deal out of it this year. I think we've seen like five years of innovation happen in 10 months in so many different ways. All of them are great. All of them are amazing. And all of them will likely lead into our innovation showcase that we do in the US uh, later this year. And so you'll see us putting those stakes in the ground around cool things and then leading that into the events we do face-to-face. I'd love to chat about 2021 and your plan. I know that you mentioned that you have some events coming up in the second half of the year. So as far as our plans for face-to-face events for 2021, we are currently actively building events for the second half. We haven't necessarily, I mean, you can go up on our website and look at the events that we're working on. Somewhat of a moving target, but we're really, really optimistic that health and you know safety reasons willing We're going to be doing great events in the U.S., in Asia, in Mexico, in the UAE, in in Abu Dhabi, and in Brazil this year. So stay tuned for more details on exactly when, but we are super excited to do those in the second half of this year. And what kind of size would that be? I know the 2019 event, as I mentioned earlier, was 75,000. And imagine you can't be gathering that many people. You've got to plan for the worst and hope for the best, right? So we're planning for a range of different outcomes. We're planning for what it might look like with half of that, what it might look like with three quarters of that, and what it looks like if we have that many people that want to come and we have to sell out and figure out how to satisfy everybody. You mentioned a hybrid model. What sort of plan are you thinking about? Well, so I think what we've learned is that digital events can lean in and do things that are special that you can't do face-to-face, and that face-to-face events have things that are special that you can't do digitally. So as we do our face-to-face events, we will bring the best of that and make it available to a digital audience. But we'll also lean into the things that digital does really well. We'll do some networking things that can happen digitally that you can't do face-to-face. We'll do some networking that merge together and we'll try and, you know, when you're sitting there and experiencing an event digitally, you can actually have somebody guiding you through all the different things that are happening Which when you're wandering around a face-to-face event, you're just sort of like, I'm going to this session. Oh, this is boring. I'm going to try that session. Or, oh my God, that was amazing. But did you know you missed this thing? So that sort of ephemeral nature of a face-to-face event, when you do it digitally, you can sort of tweak time a little bit because you can say, hey, look, I know you're watching this event now, but we pre-recorded this other event you need to go look at because it was really good. So we're thinking about those ways that we can lean into the best of digital and lean into the best of face-to-face and connect the two where it makes sense, but not force it. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned networking at digital events being some of the best because kind of the opposite of what we've heard um, is that people have a really hard time networking. So I'm curious what your experience is there. Well, look, if, if I want to talk to somebody, let's say I've got all of my attendees on the, on the industry side, right? I've got all my attendees that want to connect with people digitally and all my attendees that want to connect with people at the face-to-face event. If I can put those together in one place and I can let people select who they want to meet. So somebody who's at the face-to-face event wants to meet somebody who's at the digital event. 
I should be able to allow them to connect and create a connection and both decide that they want to meet and that they can do that in a, you know, in a virtual or digital way if they want to. But the more, shall we say, sort of random encounters, as it were, there are ways to do that digitally that, you know, we've been using Icebreaker, we've been trying out Toucan. There are a couple of different things that may allow us to do this where, you know, kind of awkward face-to-face, there could be a group of people talking. You're like, do I want to go over there and interrupt those people? Whereas digitally, it's actually a lot easier to go over to a group of people talking and just sort of sidle up, listen to them and maybe start talking or maybe not and leave. So there are barriers that I think you see in a physical event, a cocktail party or other things that some of the digital platforms we work with actually make those go away. And sure, some of it's still a little awkward, but I think we're getting better at figuring out how those social cues work and how you can do that in a way that is actually connecting people from all over the world in a conversation that you just can't do in a physical event. Is there anything else that you want to add about event trends that you see coming up or general tips for meeting planners who are navigating this really challenging time? I think for event planners who are going through this, we're all in the middle of what is probably the worst time of our career. But there's a lot of opportunity to be creative and try new things. So try new things. Don't just try and recreate the physical experience digitally. Lean into the things that make digital interesting and And know that there is no perfect solution out there. We've looked at 60 or 70 things and we've used some of them here and there, but there really isn't a perfect solution. And if you have to, you know, go with an all-in-one solution, but if you can, maybe try and cherry pick the best of it and build a stack around it uh, and and experiment. Um, Your audience will be forgiving right now because there's nothing else going on. And that face-to-face events are going to come back. They're going to come back in a different way, but... People are going to go back and do things. So if anybody tells you that people are just going to do virtual events and digital events and there won't be any more face-to-face events, they're crazy. But things will change and we all need to adapt with them. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think we're all craving that face-to-face connection now more than ever. And we're all just eager to get back to traveling and seeing people in person. Absolutely. And I can't wait to see you you and everybody else at one of our events around the world later this year or next year. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Jim. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Thanks, Elise. I appreciate it too. Thanks for uh, all that. And, you know, we will. We'll see you. We'll see you soon somewhere. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us and check back for new episodes soon.